Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. From a different perspective of the teachings of Jesus, the teachings of the new covenant in, in light of his finished work, and just how to look at things like even trials and all that kind of stuff. Because how you see it may not actually be how it is. It's just how you see it. And now I'm not saying you get to take truth and pervert it and make it say what you want. But what I'm saying is sometimes you don't see truth from a clear view. You're seeing it from a bit of a skewed perspective. Maybe you're seeing it through improper teaching or bad doctrine or you know, a horrific circumstance that happened in your life or you grew up in a really legalistic family or something like that, you know? So anyway, I'll, today I wanted to look at, you know, because the past couple of weeks we looked at the idea of if you take the teachings of Jesus literally versus how they are actually to be applied in our lives, right? So how many of you, and I won't make you raise, I will actually make you raise your hand. How many of you, are seeking to apply every teaching of Jesus, literally, raise your right hand. Okay, now, just everybody, raise your right hand. Now, unless you were in an accident or something, has anybody cut their hands off? Does everybody have two eyes? Check your neighbor, look and see. Does everybody have two eyes? Now, one of you might have, you know, an eye that doesn't see very well. And have you plucked your eyeballs out yet? Because I'd be really interested to know if you've pulled your eyeball out because it has caused you to sin. Have you done that? No. Why? Dave, why haven't you done that yet? Because I would be stupid. <laughs> That's the best possible answer. That'd be stupid. Does Jesus really want you to cut your hand off? No. If you think he does, why haven't you? Because you know better. You know that what he was doing internally is teaching the law to an impossible standard that you cannot fulfill on your own. And later on, after Jesus teaches the Sermon on the Mount and all of his teachings and everything, even things like, if you don't forgive others, God will not forgive you. you got to give everything away to make it in, all of that kind of stuff. It's not that you shouldn't believe that or seek to live within that. It's that that is not the standard that is being applied to you. And if you do believe that it is, you better come back next week with no eyeballs. <laughs> Are you with me? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it's funny, silly, but serious. Why? Because the only proper response to Jesus' teaching of that high of a level of standard, not even just actions, but in your heart, is the only proper response is like the, the disciples said, well, then who then can be saved? And he's like, that's right. That is where you should go. That is the right answer. That is the right question. That is the only question when seeking to apply t Jesus' teachings for righteousness. Now, you apply them for instruction, for wisdom, to, you know, get along and to glorify his name. Obviously, they're instruction. But if you're trying to be accepted by God or you think that you're not accepted because you don't hold that standard, then you're not asking the right question. You're not coming to the proper conclusion. The only conclusion you can come to is who then can be saved. 
And he says, yes, now I've got your attention. With man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Amen? So I want to go through a little bit of this here because what we're looking, you know, here's what's interesting is I find that I think if a lot, of, if a lot more believers actually talk, communicated and, and talked about not just specifically what the Word says, but what does it look like in action, we'd probably be a lot closer on the same page than I think a lot of the division would sound like just reading text, you know. So let's go through a few passages here. And what we're looking at is application in terms of adultery. Here we go. Y'all ready? Nice light topic today. We'll talk about <laughs> adultery. Leviticus 20.10. If there is a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, one who commits adultery with his friend's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Adultery constitutes Death. Are you with me? All right. Matthew 5, 27. This is Jesus. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. He's referring back to Leviticus 20, 10. Uh, but I say, everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Uh-oh. It's not just the, le- the law written in stone. Now, it's an internal expectation. It's on your heart. You know better. And the fact that you know better and you still do it, it's even worse than just the action. Now, it's not a sin to be tempted. Jesus was tempted. Did he sin? No. He was tempted in every way like we are, yet without sin. The fact that you're tempted is not a sin. However, it is your responsibility to rein in that thought and shift your thinking back on him and not let that sin conceive unto lust, or lust conceive unto sin. But Jesus says it's a heart thing. You know, well, you might think that you're doing pretty good if you have desire for someone else's spouse, but you're not actually hitting on them and taking it further. You're like, well, you know, at least I didn't do that. Well, yeah, but Jesus' standard is, is it in your heart? What's the punishment for adultery? Death. Death. Jesus elevates it from just the action to a level of the heart, your motives, your de- even your desires. I mean, serious business here, right? Verse 29, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out, throw it from you. For it's better, to you, better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off, throw it from you. For it's better for you to lose one of your parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Who can can live up to that? Are we throwing away the teachings of Jesus? Should we just like forget that part? No, you can't. So what do we do with that perspective? You have to put it in proper perspective. What's the the perspective that we put it in? I'm going to skip around a little bit. Let's go to Galatians 3.10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Now, this is where it gets serious because if you think God is relating to you based on your performance and your behavior, and you think that taking the teachings of Jesus, and if if it causes you a little bit of discomfort to look at a teaching of Jesus and say that it does not apply to you, I understand that. 
It should a little bit. It, it feels a little bit uncomfortable, but it, once you get the proper perspective on why you look at it differently, then you're like, then you appreciate what he's saying. You know, it means more to you what he's saying in that moment. This is the perspective on how to apply, cut your hands off, pluck your eyeballs out. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteousness will live by the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. In other words, you could say his hand was cut off for you. His eyes were plucked out for you. He died for you. Now, that's just gospel 101, really. But to apply that in your life, when you're seeking to live a righteous and holy life and you feel guilty because you're not succeeding very well, I don't mean you should like enjoy your sin, but if you feel like God is trying to push you away or going to cut you off because you stumble, then you don't understand what Jesus did for you. And when you do understand it, it's interesting because that sin actually loses its power over you. When you understand the freedom that you have in Christ, sin is not appealing to you any longer because you're under grace. Amen? So let's keep going. Uh, Christ redeemed us for the, from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who hung on a pole or tree. He redeemed us, say, I'm redeemed, I'm redeemed, in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Now that's covenantal language, but you can just understand you're a Gentile qualified to have, the, to have salvation essentially which the Jews debated, you know, because the Jews were the elect, the chosen ones whom God foreknew, as they're referred to in Romans and Galatians, uh, or I mean Ephesians and Romans 11-ish. Those whom he foreknew were the Jews that God elected to reveal himself in this earth through. And then he got to a point where he says, oh, by the way, also everybody else can now be part of the elect. And the Jews are like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. We're the elect. We're the chosen ones. We're the only ones who can be saved. Nah, sorry. It's also. And that's what Romans 9 is about. No, I can do whatever I want to do, God says. You saw what I did with Pharaoh. I do whatever I want to do. And what I want to do is bring the Gentiles in. I mean, that's like Romans 9 is a whole other teaching, but that's, that's really what's going on there. So let's just look even a little bit more. And so understand, so let's look at this, John 4, 25. Actually, don't go there just yet. Let's go back up to John 8. So we're looking at the teachings of Jesus, how to apply them. Look at John, look at John 1 for just a minute, John 1, 17. This is the perspective that we need to get. Because I know what you're doing, you're reading the Bible, and you're confused. A lot of times you're looking at it, you're wondering, how does this apply to me? How, do I sh how should I understand this? And so what we're trying to do is put the proper perspective in place for you to understand what you're reading. And the perspective is, 
this right here, really, when, especially when you're confused about the teachings of Jesus. John 1, 17, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So you could say truth came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God or perceived or understood, but the, on, but, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. The reason that Jesus knows God best is because of the context of the relationship. The way you know God is through relationship. What he's saying here is Moses was true, but Jesus brought grace and truth. So Moses gave the standard, Jesus elevated the standard, but then he gives grace to live apart from the standard, honoring the standard. Are you with me? So it's not that you throw it away, it's just that you're removed from it, it's removed from you, it's a list of instruction, it's good wisdom to apply, you live God's way because that's how this planet's designed and when you live that way, it works best for you but you're outside of the standard of it, honoring it, living in grace. And grace is way more powerful than your own effort when you were in the law. Are you with me? So that's how you apply it. Jesus was able to have the law, but look at people without looking through the law to see them. Absolutely expected them to uphold that standard, challenged people to live within that or to live according to that, but how he treated people was different. So, Jesus honors Leviticus 20.10 by saying, you've heard it said, capital punishment for adultery. You commit adultery, you die. However, adultery is really in your heart. If you've done it in your heart, you're guilty. But watch this. John 8, verse 3. Scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. What should happen to her under the law? Die. It's interesting that in the law it doesn't specifically say stoning. It just says put to death. But apparently they favored stoning for some reason. I don't know. But, I mean, like literally, people standing around this woman with rocks ready to throw them at her until she's dead. Brought a woman caught in adultery, having set her in the center of the court. They said to him, Teacher... This woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Moses, killer. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger and wrote on the ground. You know what he was writing? No, I mean, like, do you? I don't, I don't know what he was. I don't. <laughs> I mean, I've heard things, you know, like he's writing all their names or he's like writing the law. I, 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 don't, I don't really know, but it's interesting that he did that, right? Jesus. But then they persisted in asking. He straightened up, said to them, he who is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. <laughs> Stooped down, wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. He was left alone in the woman where she was in the center of the court. Okay? Realize this. Court. Imagine courtroom scene. You're standing before the judge guilty. Should be put to death. 
Lord Jesus walks in, asks the judge a question. Judge says, you're free to go. I mean, that's the picture. That's the gravity we're looking at here, just to bring it home for us. Uh, so Jesus said to her, woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? I mean, I, I just, I, I see a lot of personality in Jesus, right? You know, I mean, he could have said, no one's condemning you. You know, like the TV version, no one's condemning you, my child. <laughs> but, but Jesus gets to your heart. See, that's how God tests you. He asks you questions. He's not testing you by putting through you through external difficulties. He's testing you inward with questions. Uh, nobody accusing you. Where are they? She says, no one. He says, well, I don't condemn you either. Now, the standard. He honors the standard. Go and sin no more. Do you see that? Is Jesus contradicting himself? Jesus said, you've heard it said, you commit adultery, you die. I'm raising that standard even higher. But when he actually encounters someone in adultery, what does he do? He sets her free and does warn her, don't continue, it'll be worse for you. Isn't that interesting? Now, Jesus is the Word of God in action. Jesus is God the Father in the flesh operating as God on this planet toward people. It's not like Jesus was treating people differently than Father God would. It's not like Jesus for some weird reason had some kind of different standard but like later on in hell she'll be punished for that adultery or something. No, that word was manifest in front of her, the expectation of the law, and what did he do? He set her free because he is the resurrection. He is the way. He is our forgiveness. Now, he is your peace. He is your healing. He is your wisdom. You know, how can you take this when you're facing what you know you should be doing and you keep failing? How can you take what he is and live within it so that that thing has no more strength over you? I mean, because that's where the rubber meets the road. How do you live within it? You first live within it because you know that you're free from the punishment of it. I mean, I'm just telling you, the law, the strength of sin is the law. The fact that the standard is held against you is what brings that condemnation. And internally, when you are feeling guilt and condemnation, and there's a whole group of Christianity. I mean, it's like known for guilt. And it, let me look at the sin in, that, in those circles. You know what I'm talking about. It breeds sin because guilt is just known. Well, yeah, I just feel guilty. I'm just an old, depraved, worthless sinner. What the wonder you keep messing with sin? You're just walking around feeling guilty and condemned all the time. You haven't had a courtroom encounter with Jesus where he says, accusers, no. And he has the authority to lift that punishment off of you because for him, he knows he's paying for that woman's sin. I mean, think about Jesus. He's looking at this woman and he's saying, look, there's no accusers here any longer. 
And he's probably thinking forward to the cross. I'm setting you free, but I'm about to go pay for this thing. I mean, he probably even thought about this woman when he was on the cross, right? Interesting. So there's more going on than just what's written on these pages that we should understand about what he's done for us and where we live with God now. Amen? Did Jesus contradict himself? So how does that translate into your Bible reading? I know that's a big question. I don't really expect you to give me an answer right now because that's something that I want you to think about. I want you to think about what he did to this woman, how he treated her, giving what he taught, and what does that look like for your life? Now, some people will take this and say, well, you're telling people that they can just sin and get away with it. God's not even going to do anything about it. Well, no, don't, don't be foolish. God's not mocked. You reap what you sow. You sow sin, you're going to reap death. It just happens. However, God's not chasing you, waiting to punish you. Now, that should actually set you free. You know, it's like the speed limit. When you see speed limit signs, in your mind, you determine how much you're going to break the law. Nine miles. I got nine miles here. Who else? Ten. Ten to fifteen. Seven. Depends. You bunch of lawbreakers. I do it. Of course I do it too. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Now, when you don't see a speed limit sign, what do you do? You drive more safely. You're not thinking about how fast should I go. You're thinking, what's the safest, how safe should I, how safe can I be here? Now, if you're, you know, you're 17 years old, you're thinking, how fast can I go? But that's because you're living, you're, you're misusing your freedom. But I'm talking about people properly living within freedom, wanting to honor God. You, with, you know what I mean. Wanting to actually be a disciple to bring glory and honor to God. You're thinking about, let me, let me be safe for my sake and everybody else is on the road. You're not thinking about nine miles, you know. As soon as you see that speed limit, you think law. I want, it, I want it to be the same way with you in your relationship with the Father. I don't want you to ever, ever again worry if God's about to reject you. Because you're accepted in Christ. And you just go ahead and take care of that. And then you live well within that freedom. I'm telling you, freedom promotes more responsibility than the law ever could. This message actually brings more personal responsibility on the hearer than the strict legalistic approach. It just does. Because not only are you free, now you're expected to actually live well within that freedom. Amen? Now, watch this. To me, this is just... We're just, this is just icing on the cake regarding the personality of Jesus. Here's the picture, the woman at the well, right? Most of you know this story. If you don't, you can go read it. It's in John chapter 4. Jesus, led by the Spirit, goes to this particular town. He comes up on a well. There's a woman out there. Some historical records say that she's, you know, well, there's kids in the room. I won't go there. But anyway, so she's there by the well, and he says, 
woman draw some well out, uh, water out for me. And they begin this whole dialogue, right? And somehow they get to talking about the Messiah coming. And uh, he just reads her mail. He says, look, the, uh, the, uh, the, the, you've been married five times, and the man that you're shacked up with now is not even your husband right now. Now, what is that called? Adultery. What's the penalty for adultery? What does Jesus do? Watch what he does. This is fascinating to me. A woman who's probably regarded the least in her society. I mean, married, divorced a whole bunch of times. Oh, by the way, did he say, you've been divorced, you go straight to hell. No, he didn't, did he? Did he condemn her? I mean, if you haven't read the story, you don't know, but I encourage you to go read it. Why? This is, this is incredible to me. Now, it's incredible to me because Jesus was pressed over and over and over, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? In front of his accusers, who are you? Who do you say that you are? There's even people that say that Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. You ever heard that? People teach, well, there's no, you know, Jesus never really claimed to be the Messiah. In fact, I heard a, a really very popular TV preacher said the Jews are not held accountable for rejecting Jesus because Jesus never actually revealed himself to be the Messiah and they're still God's chosen people, so magic Jewish stuff and then they're all okay. It's weird. What? Look at this. Here's a woman, I mean, like, you know, prostitute probably level, I don't mean to make such a bad face, I just, you know, I just mean people that we wouldn't have in very high regard. Look at this. Now, again, I don't have a huge theological point in this. What I'm talking about is how Jesus treats people given the standard of death for adultery. This woman is clearly an adulterer. And this is John 4, 25, after this conversation. The woman said, I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking, am he. I am the Messiah. I am God in the flesh. I am the, the living word displaying to you how the full standard of God would treat you if you were in his court. And what does he do? He forgives her. And she goes back to that city, and because of the love encounter that she had with Jesus, the, the lack of condemnation, the lack of guilt that he lays on her, and the freedom that he gives her launches her into her city and evangelizes that whole city. Goes and tells everybody. Isn't that powerful? Freedom produces way more fruit than guilt and condemnation ever could. This is where the body of Christ is getting it wrong. We're still holding people's sin against them. And it's paradoxical, right? Sin brings death. Sin dishonors God. Sin destroys marriages. It destroys lives. But it no longer separates you from God. It's hard to wrap that... It's hard to unwind that, isn't it? But it's true because God is not relating to even the world based on its sin. 
What did he say? He said, go into the world and tell them, God's not holding your sin against you, but be reconciled to God. You know, God has reconciled himself to us. It's up to us to reconcile ourselves back to him, to, to accept what he's given us in Christ. That's your job. You go and you set people free from the fear of God. You go and you help people understand God is not mad at you. God is not waiting to punish you. God is not making your life difficult because of whatever mystical reason you might come up with. God is seeking to live through you and bring glory and honor to His name, and you do that best in freedom. The more you know and experience and personally walk in this freedom, the more you bring glory and honor to God. I mean, the church is just kind of getting it wrong in a lot of areas. The church, the body of Christ on the planet at large. You know, we're not hanging Christianity on Christ. <laughs> it's all kind of stuff that's worth pointing people to, and a lot of it's just self-effort. But that is your role. Go into the world and show the world God's love. God is not keeping track. Love keeps no record of wrongs. You know, the passage that says God is not, God, is, God remembers your sin no more. It, it doesn't say God doesn't see your sin. He sees your sin. He sees it. It just says he doesn't remember it. And that word remember, if you look it up in the Greek, it's not like, it's not just how we think of it. It's like, it's not just a memory. There's more to it there. It's like he's not rehashing it. He's not dwelling on it is really what it means. In other words, it's not what he thinks about when he looks at you. He's not looking at you when he sees your sin and bringing all that stuff up in his mind. It's like he just doesn't, he doesn't run those patterns. What he runs the pattern of is, I need them to know that they're free. I need them to know that, that, that Jesus paid for this. And so let's see here. What can I do for them that will help them remember what I've done for them, who they are in me? Is it maybe I need Kopi to go over here and give somebody this word. Maybe we need to pray for healing for this person today. You know, maybe, they, maybe we need to inspire them to go to church and so that when this person comes to church and they connect and it, you know, you might be part of God's plan to help people experience his freedom. I, I didn't plan on this, but this is interesting to me. There's a guy I know, made some really bad choices, was probably about 12 to 24 hours away from death laying on the floor of his home. Like literally. Doctor confirmed everything. Within about a 30-minute time span, four different people showed up at this guy's house because they just felt like they needed to go check on him. wonder why they felt that way. One person showed up, get this picture, one person shows up, doesn't get an answer at the door, goes around to the back door, and as they're going around to the back door, someone else comes in that actually could get in, let, goes to the back door, here's this person knocking, lets them in, they begin the process, two more people show up, four people show up within 30 minutes of each other because they just kind of felt like they needed to go check on this guy. God's sending way more solutions to you than you realize. God is unlimited. 
in his efforts toward you. Are you with me? Now, you might be that for somebody else, but also when you're looking to God and you're needing him to move and work in your life according to the promises that are available to you in Christ, it's way more unlimited than you think. And the fact that you are focusing on this one thing, because here's what we do. We pray and then we tell God, like, Lord, I trust you. Now, do this, make this person do this, give me this, and if you do this, then I'll have what I want. And and so that's what you're focused on. And it's interesting because when you focus, your brain actually goes into this mode where you eliminate other opportunities and you only see that one thing. You do that for the good and the bad. It's a capacity to focus, but you also do it to refine that anger. Well, they did this to me, and I tell you what, the reason they did this, and that's what I'm going to do. You just... you. Open it up. Like right now, everything that you're facing, God has a solution for. And it's up to you to be leadable and moldable and adaptable and transformable. Is that transformable? Is that legal? Okay. Because that's what he's, that's God's, that's God's plan, transformation. As you transform, you experience the blessing of Abraham which is way bigger than you think. I tell you what, people that have trouble with prosperity, and there is a perversion of preaching about money. I get all that. I understand that. But people that are criticizing certain people, man, you would have a real problem with Abraham. Major. Major. Anyway, side note. God's sending. He's sending angels. He's sending wisdom. He's sending people. He's sending ideas, thoughts, actions. Your role is to understand your relationship with him, rest within him, and just make yourself impressionable and trust that you, when you step out, you're following him. And you're doing it from a place where you're not afraid of him and the guilt and the shame that you carry, you got to let it go. You just got to let it go. I mean, some of us, we feel like the guilt is justified, like we need to hold on to it because we think that that's how we're supposed to feel before God if we've missed it. No, he's trying to cleanse your conscience from evil works. He's trying to cleanse your conscience from that sin consciousness. It's it's like this process. He does the work to get that cleansing in there so that you can live within that freedom, but we don't let him clean us. Because we just sit and we think, well, I'm dirty. I deserve to be dirty. And you can't clean me, Jesus. I'm just going to sit here and be dirty. And I'm going to create my little doctrine that says I'm always going to be dirty. And if you don't want me to be dirty, then you'll make me not want to be dirty. Jesus revealed himself in like one of the very few times, maybe even the only time, who he really was to a woman that had zero status. I mean, you'd think he'd walk, you'd think he'd march in there in front of Pontius Pilate. I'm God. Nope. The woman that deserved death is who he really revealed himself to. To me, that's incredibly powerful. So I know that's kind of a lot. I don't really have a bow to put on this thing, but I hope that that gives you a perspective shift 
for when you're reading the Bible and you're seeking to be a disciple. You're seeking to literally put into practice the teachings, the things that God expects of you, and bring honor and glory to his name. But I hope it lifts off a weight and puts you, you know, with a more clear picture of who Jesus is and how he desires to relate to you. Amen? Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the freedom that we have in you. Jesus, we are so incredibly... I don't, I don't even know if we can express our gratitude. I don't even think we really fully understand what you've set us free from. But thank you. Thank you so much that you've changed the context of the relationship, that it's by faith and not by the law any longer. But we want to live well within that. We trust you. We love you. We want to honor you. We want you to be glorified. But thank you. Thank you, Lord. You know, maybe you're sitting there and you're just thinking, well, you know, this sounds great, but I'm not really sure if I have that relationship. And, you know, there's no magic prayer.